3: get out here as quickly as you can yeah we've got a fun show today as we get you ready it's a football Friday we get you ready for a little Cowboys action Cowboys Saints Sunday night primetime action how where are you right now in your confidence meter how are you feeling about that matchup for the Cowboys
2: I feel pretty good about the matchup I, I gotta be honest Ben I was a little stressed out over the Amari Cooper situation not knowing what that is but the MRI did come back negative uh, earlier today when I was making my way into Mansfield, I was listening to that morning show and Fish was on there and rather confident that Amari Cooper would play. The part of practice that was uh, open to the media, he was moving around fine. Not, uh, yeah, I think he's probably a little bit compromised, but I don't think it's to a worrisome level. We will have Mickey with an update on all that at 1220, but even more importantly... Jerry Jones will probably have something to say about that at 10.30 as we have Jerry every Friday at 10.30. But I'll say this, if Amari Cooper is out or half of his Amari Cooperness, then I'm starting to sweat a little bit. I want to be able to take advantage of a New Orleans secondary that is not good, a New Orleans secondary that has given up, I believe, 14 splash plays through the air in three games. You're averaging almost giving up five splash plays through the air a game that is a uh, an area where you can attack these guys. Dak has been brilliant throwing the ball downfield, and if you don't have Cooper and you don't have Gallup, you're not taking advantage of something that really weighs in your favor.
3: Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm stoked personally. I can't wait. I, I you know I think about that environment though. I think regardless of Breeze being there or not, Kamara is the guy that uh, Cowboys defensive players should be losing sleep over and, and worrying about. And we saw, you know, last week Bridgewater just dumping the ball off short and Kamara just doing amazing things with it. That's incredibly dangerous. And so, I don't know. I I feel like uh, the Cowboys have had a little bit of a cakewalk these first three weeks. The schedule's been kind to them. They caught a break with the Breeze injury. But going into such hostile territory, I just don't know. I don't have the same confidence I, I had had in weeks prior or the confidence I had when Breeze was out. I still think they should win this. but I do too. The areas of concern for me with the Cowboys, their inability to get interceptions, their lack of uh, sacks, you know, things like that. That's that's to me, that's problematic and it becomes more problematic as the opponents get better. Right. Uh, one of our favorite Tolos just walked in the house. We love coming out to Mansfield. Uh, so if you're if you're in the area, come by and see us. Even even if you know we still have G bag flags now, but we could run out. And even if we do, we'd love to meet you and thank you for listening. But
2: can I throw an angle yeah. out there right quick before we move on to last night's game? Uh, something I hadn't considered until the morning news reran a story from Louisiana. The guy who is arguably having the best season in the NFL so far at the quarterback spot. I'm not saying he's better than Mahomes or Brady, but a guy who, statistically speaking, is in the mix of having the best season. Dak Prescott is going home, Ben. Yeah, I saw that, too. I was reading about that a little bit, and, you know, that should be a a motivating factor for him. Extra magic, a little extra magic dust to sprinkle on Sunday night.
3: And if you you are Dak Prescott, you have overcome so much, so many haters, uh, so, I mean, you've continued to escalate, and, your game and and ramp up your game and take it to the next level and I think he's really enjoyed having the Linehan governor off the offense yeah and showing what he can do without Linehan I would agree and you know I I was told by players he was upset that he didn't get a chance to throw them back into that playoff game and I think he maybe felt that Linehan had pigeonholed him Uh, he really wanted that opportunity and uh, so that said I bet he cherishes and relishes this opportunity to overcome yet another hurdle like this idea, okay, well, your schedule's been easy and you haven't really beat anybody yet. Okay, well, let's go to a real hostile territory. I I bet he's embracing this challenge and especially playing in, you know, so close to home.
2: I don't want this to happen, but I was driving around yesterday afternoon when I was a little more uncertain of Amari Cooper's status for Sunday, thinking, can you imagine if Dak goes in there and wins on the road without Cooper and Gallup? what that would mean. Holy crap. That would be incredible. I don't want to see it. I want a full compliment of guys because here's – and maybe this has been – maybe this is where we pivot to last night's game. Uh, I don't know how you felt after that game. I left that game last night going, man, the Philadelphia Eagles are damn good. That is such a tough win that they got on a short week on the road with their season hanging in the balance – The Packers in the first half looked so potent offensively. Those are two really good teams that could go very deep in the playoffs. And it just, both of those teams are coming up on the Cowboys schedule. It just goes to show you the depth. And I tweeted something out about wow, that's two really good teams slugging it out. And I couldn't believe how dismissive Twitter was of those two teams. Oh yeah, both those teams. What?
3: uh, Both those teams are exceptional. Yes. Uh, And that was a heavyweight fight. That was a fun football game to watch. A lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of times on a in a situation like that, I'll uh, you know Thursday night football, I'll have the game up and I'll be doing other things. Uh I didn't do anything else but watch that game because it was it demanded that much attention. It was such a fantastic game. Yep. Um yeah, gutsy, gutty, gutsy, however you want to call it, win win for Philly, shorthanded, short week. And I just I love this game so much, and this, this is incredible. So Craig James is on their practice squad as a corner uh, when the week began. Uh, the, the Eagles are so shorthanded they promote him. He's second-year undrafted corner to the active roster two days before this matchup. He comes into the game, uh, you know, and, and at the very end because of a just a just a disgusting, catastrophic uh,
2: injury was that? To uh, was that the Avante Maddox one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Where his own teammates and he'll plowed into him because the tight end did what you're supposed to catch the ball and get your head down immediately. So, so James comes into the game and 25 seconds left.
3: Aaron Rodgers does what he's supposed to do and tries to pick on him. Now, granted, we could talk all day about why the Packers were refusing to run the ball, mm-hmm. uh, but they were throwing the ball. They left it in the hands of their best players. They attempted to tie this game late, late in the game, but there he was, you know, Craig James just promoted up from the practice squad. He jumps the slant. You know, I I thought it looked like interference. I thought he got there soon, and I thought, wait a second, isn't that the whole point of this new rule where you can review things? And I thought the booth would go ahead and review it. it since it's reviewable now and it's in the final closing minutes of the game. Earlier in the game, they blew an interference as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the hell is going on with this rule? But it it wasn't to be. And the, you know, the ball gets deflected, it gets picked off, and that's it. It's over.
2: Yeah, and I think it also raises – they were reviewing it. They were looking at it, but they were scared to pull the trigger and say that in their estimation there was clear evidence that the call should be reversed or the call should be made. And uh, that's the other thing that we're learning from all this is there's stuff that we've seen where we're like, well, that's – obvious and the call is not made or the call is not reversed so once again obvious is a moving target in sports it's never as obvious as everyone seems to think it is right and uh, i found myself
3: watching that game thinking aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in football and it gets kind of that list of the greatest nba players you were just talking about with sean Mm -hmm. there's nuance there's shades of gray it's it's hard to say one guy is totally better than the other and i have full respect for what mahomes is doing it's just incredible But Aaron Rodgers does things on a football field that it just looks like he has such command and is going to rip your heart out. And and maybe it's just because, uh, as a Cowboy fan, I've seen it happen to the Cowboys so many times. But Aaron Rodgers was stupid good last night, 10 for 10, finished 34 for 53 for 422 yards. Two touchdowns. He did have the fumble. He got karate chopped. I thought he hurt his hand. I did too, I was yeah. super worried the way he carried his hand off the field, kind of holding his arm. I, th- I thought that was a, a scary moment for the Packers. And then the interception, I mean, it, you could say it was interference. You could say that a practice squad corner jumped the route. You could say Devontae Adams wasn't in the game. Say whatever you want to say.
2: But, dude, Aaron Rodgers is so freaking good and so much fun to watch. I was so mad all over again at Jason Garrett for ruining Dak's rookie season (laughs) when Aaron Rodgers went the length of the football field and dropped seven without any timeouts, starting the drive with 57 seconds to go. And I'm watching that going, how did Garrett screw that up? That's a conversation for later in the show. But coming up next, Ben, we need to talk about another huge controversy I could have never guessed that in the final four days of Texas Rangers baseball, we would have an on-the-field controversy, but we do. We have the audio. We have the reaction. We'll get into the Mike Miner debacle controversy next on the Bin & Skin Show 105.3 The Fan.
3: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart
0: shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious
3: pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can over Think what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your
1: first three orders while supplies last.
0: Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
1: And then Odor added a home run. And there's a swing and a pop-up, and that's playable on the right side of the infield. Guzman down the line, lets it drop in foul territory. Did that look like they intentionally let the ball yes. drop?
3: Yes, that's exactly what it looked like because Guzzi's going to catch that. Trevino could have caught it. Now you're at one and two to a guy who, with Boston, has struck out 21 times in 42 at bat. Well,
1: we'll have to find out if there was some miscommunication or if Guzzi really did deliberately let it drop so that Minor could get a strikeout. I don't know if Minor might have said something to Guzman. Possibly. Told him to let it drop.
2: Wow. Wow, indeed. Did anybody think that that game was going to have that controversy yesterday? Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan, we're at Fat Daddy's in Mansfield, which is a great place to be for happy hour today, by the way, if you want to get that going starting at 2 o'clock. Also, the G-Bag flags, are they all gone yet, Myra? Okay, we have a few flags left if you want to make it out. Uh, Today is the launch of Flagtober, as we do have G-Bag flags here. But, Ben, that was uh, quite the controversy yesterday as Mike Miner, Went back out for the eighth inning and then just got like the one, two, three inning. Didn't get the strikeout. So they sent him back out for the ninth inning. And you heard the at-bat there. That was a pop-up right there between home plate and first. Guzman had an easy play. And if you watch the replay, uh, Jose and Mike are both yelling something at him. And he let it drop. It's pretty obvious he let it drop because they were chasing the 200th strikeout for Mike Mike Miner, who then improbably got it. On the next pitch, and it was a whole big, giant controversy yesterday, and is really all anybody was talking about. When there's great Thursday night football going on, they're talking about a meaningless game in, in September.
3: Yeah, Guzzi, I love his quote. He says, honestly, on that play, I was going for it. When I got close to it, I heard the whole stadium telling me to drop it. Uh, Mike Miner after the game was said, it's just an accomplishment that uh, I was I was looking for this past offseason. I was wanting to improve from last year. This year I got a little bit closer to the end, and a lot of guys were talking about it. And then today I got closer. I knew we were a couple of strikeouts away, and I tried to get it. Uh, other than that, people say it's hard to do. Um, I, I think it's a cool milestone for him to get. Um, I don't love the way that it all went down. But I, I think to, to truly understand it, you have to understand the game within the game. I reached out to a lot of different people in baseball to try to get it, my, wrap my brain around exactly what this was. And the idea that uh, Cora had his players swing at first pitch strikes to, uh, to keep the milestone from happening is a real thing. And it's just gamesmanship, game within the game. Uh, there's a lot of little things that happen in baseball that uh, you may not be aware of in the stands, but if you're out there on the field, you see it happening. Like, and you could say, well, wait a second, they were swinging at the first pitch because they thought that was the most effective way to get to minor because they had a couple home runs, I think in the seventh inning, swinging at the first pitch. But what I was told was that, as players were running back after, I guess in that uh, eighth inning, or was it the eighth inning or ninth inning or whatever it was, when they were swinging at the uh, first pitches, it was the eighth. The eighth that they were running back past the Rangers dugout, like looking over, laughing, like ha you ain't gonna get it on us. You know, right. it was just gamesmanship in that regard. Yeah, and
2: you know, like did you so, hear and it? basically foregoing the game, right? Like we're game. just gonna lose this game,
3: and we actually have the audio of Woody. Listen to Woody after the game talking about this.
0: I told him that he's not, I don't, I can't give him too many more pitches. Um, and listen, I, I, you know, from a number standpoint, I know it's just a number, but it's a big deal. Uh, this guy's been our best pitcher all year. Him and Lance have been arguably the two best pitchers in baseball, aside from, you know, either at Culver, Lander, Lynn, and, and Miner. Um, all year he's been just unbelievable. So I felt he, I owed it to him. Um, I've obviously let him go further in games. I didn't want him to go 120 pitches. I kept telling Julio, make sure you get nine before 100. Um, he didn't hold that end of the deal. So once it got close, um, like I said, I know it's just a number, but it's a big number, and it's you know to have two guys that, that have accomplished that, it is a big deal. And God, it's gut wrenching as a as a manager. I, you know I didn't love the idea that we dropped a pop up at the end, um, but on the other side of that. They swung it three pitches in a row in the eighth inning down by two. So if they have any beef with that, obviously I'm pretty sure Cora did. They they chose to not try to win the game as well. They were trying to keep him from striking a guy out, which worked in our favor to winning the game eventually. So uh, I'm proud of Mike.
3: So this is what I think happened. It's not that big of a deal. The game's going on, and then this game within the game starts. And I think the competitive nature of Miner, I think he got caught up in – okay, they're trying to stop me from getting this strikeout. I'm going to try to get this strikeout. I don't think it was some big agenda initially. No. And I don't think anybody should necessarily feel great about the way it happened. But it doesn't – to me, it's not. It's no big deal. It's a minor – It's a hey, it's a minor story. Uh, but, you know, it's a pretty big deal to get 200 strikeouts. And over the course of the year, there could have been so many calls that should have been strikes that weren't. I mean, it's regardless, 199, 200, it's a major milestone. It's earned – And uh, I I think it's one of the weirdest things I've seen happen in a long time, but it's the game within the game and it's a guy being super competitive. That's all it is.
2: Yeah, and I I think the weird thing about it is it's a personal milestone. That's not like some traditionally, oh man, so Mike Miner is 10th in the American League in strikeouts this year. In the in the in the historical context, this ain't like, dude, uh, what's his name uh, from the Astros has over 300 strikeouts. That is like, holy cow! This is a personal milestone for a guy who was in the bullpen for a while, had an injury. It means a lot to him. Within the annals of baseball, no one's talking about the history of 200 strikeout seasons. He's tenth in the American League, not even in the majors. It's it's personal. It's not a big deal. It's just pretty bizarre yeah. that it took over a Thursday afternoon game, uh, you know, at the end of September. And that whole idea of, oh, yeah, you want this for your own personal benefit? We're going to stop you. Oh, you're going to stop me? Well, I'm going to overcome it. No one talks about the history of 200 strikeout seasons anywhere.
3: I think peop- I think the Rangers are just punch drunk at this point, too. It's not that. Right, it's right. the end of the season. It, they just got caught up in the competition at the moment i I don't think it's a big deal. It is weird that it was such a personal thing right because uh, from a team standpoint the Rangers should be like oh you're swinging at the first pitch you're giving up the game thank you we'll take the win right but at this point they're not playing for the postseason you can you can kind of well, i hate to I hate to you know, ride the fence I can kind of see both sides of it, but ultimately where where I do fall on this is It ain't that big of a deal. Why would the Red Sox care that much about a guy trying to get 200 strikeouts that they just give up the game and start swinging at first pitches?
2: Right. Uh, And and you're right, though, too, that whole idea of competitive moments arising with competitive people. Mm -hmm. Like I'll give you an example of a milestone. Um, When Dirk topped 30,000 points, you know, and it's like – Larry Nance Jr. doesn't want to be the guy, yeah. but he ended up being the guy. And when it happened to him, the next time he saw Dirk, he wanted his autograph. Right. Like, that is a significant milestone. We talk about uh, Dirk's final shot where Rudy Gay's coming over to double team. And Pop's like, why are we double teaming? Like, those are significant moments. This is a personal moment yep. for Minor. And when it happened in the game, dude, he went for it. We've heard this all year. Everyone will tell you he's the single most competitive person on that team. And because that is infectious, that's why Trevino would yell for Guzman to drop the ball right there. No doubt.
3: All right, if you're competitive, you want these G-bag flags. There's only three left at Bad Daddies in Mansfield. So we came out here with 50. People love these things. People also love Jerry Jones. Coming up next on the Benin Skin Show, Jerry Jones right here on 105.3 The Fan. Anytime we have Jerry Jones on our radio station, boy, you need to be tuned in, and it's time to do that now. Again, brought to you by Ford. Ford is the best in Texas. How are you doing uh, today,
1: Mr. Jones? Well, I'm excited about uh, uh, what we're doing this weekend. I'm excited about uh, taking this team to New Orleans. Uh, I have had a lifetime of uh, having some of my greatest memories in and around New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, uh, A lot of the people that are listening may not know that uh, one of the biggest controversies uh, uh, early on uh, that I was involved in with the Cowboys is the three-port market uh, is so much Cowboy market that uh, there was a huge debate on the CBS affiliate. I don't think it was the Fox affiliate as to which game that uh, would be on the local television there in Shreveport, whether it be the Saints game or the Cowboys game. And that's North Louisiana, of course. And uh, uh, so it's always made it exciting. Uh, uh, I've got a lot of great friends in Louisiana. So for me, going to New Orleans and playing a game of this substance uh, is um, uh, an outstanding weekend. It, to me, is what I got in it for.
3: Jerry, is uh, are you guys going to have Amari Cooper at full power in this one?
1: Yes. Yes. I uh, feel very good about that. Now, uh, I know that uh, and you should be reluctant to say, man, Jerry, uh, doesn't only God know that? And <laughs> he does. But as far as anything we're seeing relative to uh, his condition, uh, his uh, ability to push off, his ability to do anything, uh, uh, I think we're in good shape. We're ta- uh, we're, we're as we are on all of our players now. We we're uh, where we've got any sensitivities at all, any strains, anything like that. Well, uh, we we're smart about that during our practice week and uh, have it ready to go on Sunday. That's when it counts.
2: You know, and keep in mind, Jerry. Whenever someone says the man upstairs, we always think they're talking about you before we realize it's something spiritual. But
1: uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious hey. about. There's a big difference now <laughs> in terms of uh, just reference. Uh, but uh, uh, I am a big believer in, so we all are. And uh, so uh, the bottom line is uh, uh, these matters of health, uh, these matters, uh, whether it be negotiation, where are you on the negotiation, how it's going, uh, the, the only one really knows what the outcome is going to be at that point usually is uh, – Uh, a a higher power.
2: Well, since we can't get God on the line, we do love talking to you instead. But I I, I do want to see what you think about your team uh, within the context of the rest of the NFC. I'm sure you watched that game last night, and those are two really good teams slugging it out. So we're only – we're not even a month into this thing, but how do you feel like you guys stack up with the rest of the conference?
1: Well, first of all, I was real impressed with Philadelphia because I have such a respect for – the Green Bay defense uh, this season. And uh, so that was a big win uh, for uh, uh, Green Bay, I mean, for Philadelphia, and one that uh, obviously we wanted to go the other way. And uh, uh, But uh, it, it really doesn't change uh, what we're faced with. Uh, uh, Philadelphia's got outstanding personnel. They've well coached. Uh, they've uh, uh, tasted and and been at the top, and uh, they're formidable. And any time that we can get them to uh, get a little chink in their armor, uh, as this thing goes, uh, this season goes, we want to have it happen. And, uh, and that was a big win for them. Big win, just as it was a big win for New Orleans and Seattle the other day. And so these teams that. Uh, Uh, We're talking about New Orleans this weekend, of Philadelphia twice in the future. That'll so be up real quick about uh, what we're faced with this year uh, as a team.
3: So, Jerry, uh, we were reading that, uh, I think it was Adam Schefter who was saying that uh, both you and Roger Goodell were the guys at the forefront of uh, trying to convince the league that, hey, a 17-game schedule uh, is it might be the way to go. What could you tell us about, if, if that's accurate, and then what could you tell us about why a 17-game proposal makes a lot of sense?
1: Well, first of all, uh, uh, it, it is a, a, an item of negotiation, and we are involved in negotiation with the players' union. And uh, I've been going to Chicago, I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, before but I've been going to Chicago beginning gosh it seems like it was uh, back uh, in the spring uh, but I've been uh, averaging uh, once or twice uh, uh, once uh, a week or or uh, once every two weeks I've been going up there for six months n- negotiating this and uh, uh, we uh, uh, certainly have a lot of work to do but uh, uh, as a part of it and as a part of uh, looking at the preseason, we're looking at it in its whole as we would, and um, I do believe that uh, one way that um, uh, makes a lot of sense today, since players really are in shape year-round, it makes a lot of sense to have additional regular games, maybe additional playoff game, and so uh, that's What you're reading there is in context with that. I couldn't comment on it because, again, I don't have any idea where the uh, players are on this matter. I do have an idea, but I don't want to get into that. But uh, uh, it is a solution that uh, uh, I am for, and that is uh, uh, to have the additional game, and then we'll work the detail out as, as we work it out. Do you
2: think, Jerry, there's any particular part of, you know, you guys negotiating with the players that would be the biggest challenge or the biggest obstacle that you guys got to come to, to terms on? What would be the thing that is most pressing with the new negotiations?
1: Oh, I, I think uh, uh, is safety uh, is paramount. Uh, I think that's in everybody's interest and certainly uh, uh, does the right thing Thing for our fans to uh, have uh, availability. I've always said ability, when you think of an athlete or a football player, is the first thing that comes to your mind, but availability is probably as important. Well, that's another way of looking at safety. And uh, we obviously are are working, continuing to work to keep our game more more safe as technology allows us to do it and knowledge allows us to do it. But safety and then the economics. And at the uh, end of the day, uh, those are the things that uh, would go into making a decision about additional games, less preseason games, those kinds of things.
3: Jerry, uh, the halftime show for the Super Bowl has announced J-Lo and Shakira. Which one of those two is most likely to get you out on the dance floor? Ooh, great question.
1: Well, uh, J-Lo is a personal friend, and I'm proud to say that. And uh, A-Rod and uh, uh, J-Lo sat with us uh, out in Los Angeles when we uh, uh, played the Rams, actually sat and watched the game with us. And uh, uh, I admire uh, both of them rod as well as J-Lo, but uh, uh, we're talking about J-Lo here, and uh, there's no person, period, man or woman, that I admire any more than her. She is as hard-working as I've been around, and she has done nothing but as she's evolved, gotten better and better and better. And as great an entertainer as she is, she's that much better as a person. And she really is the, the complete package, the real deal. Uh, I, you know, I, I put her, uh, if, if, when I think of J-Lo, I think of, uh, uh, I think of Jay-Z. Uh, Jay-Z is really an outstanding, genuine person to sit down and talk to. And you feel like you've known both of them all your life. Uh, feel like they could be your brother or sister. And uh, in terms of how, uh, how good it feels just to uh, have conversation with them. And we're not talking about the entertainment aspect of them now. We're talking about how they are individually. And there's no wonder they've been success. And they both work like dogs.
0: Yeah, I,
2: I love you bringing up Jay-Z I, on this show. We're big fans of that man and what he's built. And so, you know, you dealt with him a little bit during the DES negotiations, and now he's a bigger part. Of the NFL. How did that whole Jay-Z thing, coming together with the NFL, really, really happen? And what what is it that he's doing with you guys?
1: Well, I, I think what needs to be uh, really pointed out is that uh, uh, he's got, uh, not only is uh, he talented, but he's connected. And uh, uh, then he's got uh, a way of uh, of, of being the coach of his work ethic, and uh, he's big. Uh, He said to me, I've never been late, I've always been early, but I've never been late for an appointment in my life. And uh, that's pretty good for a guy that a lot of his his appointments were on the street
0: corner.
1: (laughs) No doubt. And so the point is that uh, he's got that kind of discipline or he's got that kind of – uh, just what I would say, uh, uh, business courtesy. And uh, that's impressive. And uh, those kinds of things. It's impressive that he thinks that it's an important part of success. And uh, just just the, just the obvious, but it's the obvious, it's not the small thing, but it's the uh, of actual physical, uh, being there, being alert, being uh, on your game, being well-dressed, being ready to go, all of those things are, are uh, the things that I had my mother and daddy tell me about and, and uh, had my coaches tell me about, not just football coaches but life coaches. Well, come to find out, you look at some of the people that have attained success, and those are still the big things to them
3: well you you mentioned life coach, one of the reasons we love having you on the show and we wish we could do an hour every time we had you, but we know you're a busy man is 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 getting insight into just life and your your thoughts and philosophies on things and so I want to step away from football and ask you about taking on risk in business. When, when we're younger and we don't have kiddos and we don't have mouths to feed and mortgages, it's easier to take big risks. What would you say to our listeners out there, anybody listening, who's thinking of taking on business venture risks but also has that responsibility to the family? When do you know the right is the right time to roll the dice and go for something?
1: Well, I think that uh, if I were going to uh, expose – uh, my base, my economic base, uh, to uh, uh, a element of things that are out of your control, the economy, uh, uh, the uh, uh, nature of your product or service that you're trying to, the volatility of it uh, in the marketplace. Uh, I would not do it unless I were putting all my time that I were committing my own sweat to it, uh, sweat will uh, let you overcome things that aren't in your control, and you can just outwork it. Or you can stay late. You can stay later. You can will it. And to me, if you're going to go and expose your family to anything inordinate, make sure you didn't do it with a well. I'm going to do this part time. You've got to be. if You will figure out a way overcome if that's what you're getting to do when you get up and when you go to bed and think about during the night. And so um, I think that kind of, you can call it commitment, you can call it anything you want to go, but uh, 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 I'm a big believer that uh, uh, the fact that you've got some exposure to your family or to the people that you uh, love the most, uh, that alone will help you overcome. Uh, you, will, you will just not uh, get off of it until you've come up with the, uh, the solution. So, uh, you know, this sounds like uh, rah-rah, sounds like some kind of motivational tape, but uh, uh, it, it isn't. The ones that I've seen, I've, I think I've said this on the show, but this guy had all these restaurants, had about 400 of them, 24 hour day restaurants. And he was very young. He was about 35 years old. And I was asking him, where do you find all those chefs? How in the world? I didn't know that many people could cook. (laughs) And uh, I was younger, and I was hanging on every word. And he said, well, uh, if you just think of the hundreds of, quote, chefs, cooks. And he said, well, I don't find that many that can cook. They really all can't. But he said, uh, if it's supposed to be hot, I tell them, burn the roof of their mouth with it. If it's supposed (laughs) to be cold, make it like it's hot ice going in their mouth. Intensity covers up a lot of the frailties of the way it tastes and the quality of the food. Intensity, heat. And he said, by the way, that's something that goes uh, whether you're cooking or other parts of your life. Heat covers up a lot of your frailties.
2: Wow, that's great. Jerry, so speaking of intensity, we know it's Jerry Jr.'s 50th uh, birthday this weekend, and you guys are in a party city with New Orleans. So, what is the intensity of the birthday celebration for Jerry Jr. going to be like this weekend?
1: Well, first of all, I can't tell you how proud I am that uh, when somebody refers to him or he opens his mouth, he says, I'm Jerry Jones. Uh, (laughs) I've been asked, why was your second son your junior as opposed to your first? My daddy used to, uh, uh, I asked him why I wasn't a junior, and he said, because um, uh, all of the guys that had the name after their dad, they ended up with the nickname Junior, and I just didn't want you to be called Junior. Well, as it turns out, my father, who was not but five six, but strong, really strong, and very, very, uh, uh, if, if you will, driven. And uh, he was so well uh, thought of in his uh, uh, the way he approached life and, and the way he it was a business, uh, that even after I was a Razorback in Arkansas and after I'd quit playing and I had uh, was recognized that way, if it were any in an area that knew my dad, I was known as Little Pat, not Jerry Junk, Little Pat. And to this day, if I run into somebody of my dad's vintage and there are a few remaining, they call me Little Pat. Huh. So uh, uh, that's how, how strong it was, and I was proud of it, too. That's and awesome. Uh, so uh, while uh, Jerry still had to suffer this little Jerry business, uh, that, that'll make you want to show him that you're not little, that you do something on your own. And uh, so it was an inspiration for me. But uh, I'm just, first of all, I'm proud that he's my son. Uh, he's, uh, it's, it's been rough. He, he's the one that's most like me. And so I think I've got him figured before he even turns his eyes toward me. (laughs) I'm telling you, you guys know how that is. I have a dad that thinks that. I remember reading a father's prayer one time, and uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it basically said, don't let me be a bully uh, because I can be. And the reason is he loves me and will let me get away with it. So God, don't let me be a bully. And, and so, so um uh I do would like to say on his 50th birthday uh I uh, hope I haven't pushed you around too much.
3: Oh, that's that's <laughs> awesome. And uh, hey, we're we're so grateful for your time and uh we know that uh, your dad's looking down on you super proud. What do you think your dad would make of all this that's going on with old Jerry Jones, oh, little just, pat?
1: Just grinning like the proverbial Cheshire cat. <laughs> and uh he's uh smiling from ear to ear. He Loves it. Uh, some of the stuff that uh, comes my way, he can't quit uh, uh, chuckling about it, I'm sure. Uh, he, he was pretty uh, aggressive and controversial. I know that uh, uh, he had uh, 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 two l- large uh, stores that were called supermarkets in the grocery business, and they had a blue law in central Arkansas, and so you couldn't open on Sunday under the blue law. The only way you could open on Sunday is if you owned a business and your religion had you uh, uh, being religious on Saturday, and then Sunday was not your religious holiday, so you could open that business. So my father joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church (laughs) and uh, closed his doors on Saturday and opened them on Sunday. And um, uh, that got quite a lot of attention at the time, but uh, it looked like the Super Bowl out there at these stores on (laughs) Sunday. Of course, right in the middle of that store was a big bandstand. This was the 50s. And on that bandstand, he'd have amateur talent shows, and he had live radio broadcasts coming out of the middle of that store. And people were sitting there buying groceries and doing everything you do in a store, but right in the middle of it was a big hoedown going on and some 16-year-old singing like he was Elvis Presley. (laughs) That'd be going on while you're buying your groceries. It was great. We lived above the store, and we loved it.
3: Well, Mr. Jones, uh, we apologize to you for holding you long. Please apologize to your staff on our behalf, but we can't get enough of visiting with you. Thank you so much for taking the time today, and uh, happy birthday to Jerry Jr. You guys, good luck to you in New Orleans.
1: Thank you, guys. Good to be on.
3: All right, there he goes. Great Jerry Jones.
2: I've never heard that one. I hadn't heard that I one mean, either. I knew how his dad operated the store, but I didn't know he switched religions to get a competitive advantage on uh, Sunday. Uh, that is the most Jones family thing I
3: have ever heard. That was awesome. Thank you. Oh, thank that's you, thank beautiful. You. Jerry Jones. Uh, we'll get back into uh, <laughs> some of that later on the show. Our, our buddy Sterling's going to be editing that audio. We'll get back into some of the Jerry stuff we got around the NFL coming up. We'll have a Jerry post game show coming up next, live from Fat Daddies in Mansfield.